Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. We'll begin reading in verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let's end there, and would you bow in prayer with me? Lord God, we bow in prayer before you this morning, and we ask that you would oversee your word. Lord, it is you that we worship, and it is from your word that we learn how to worship. And we learn of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom we also worship and have fellowship with through his death on the cross, through his resurrection from death, and from his ascension into heaven where he serves you and us as our great high priest. Increase our faith this day. As we know, we are weak in faith. Therefore, we pray, teach us to have faith. As your disciples once asked, help us in our unfaithfulness. We pray, Lord, because we believe, Lord, and we trust your help in this matter today. And we ask the help of our Lord Jesus to intercede for us on this. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. been looking at many of God's accomplishments of the new covenant. We've turned our attention here in chapter 10 to open up the new and living way for each of us. This new and living way that allows us things that we may accomplish since we are believers in the new covenant promise of God. We are new covenant Christians. There are no such things as Old Covenant Christians, for Christians follow Christ, who ratified the New Covenant and brought it into power by his very shed blood. So we are New Covenant Christians. And as New Covenant Christians, we now turn from believing that to following what we may accomplish under that, knowing what God has accomplished in us by his divine sovereign will, we now turn and follow that in belief that produces in us certain accomplishments. We started with the three let us commands found in verses 22, 23, and 24 last week. Last week, we saw that the first of these accomplishments that we may have under the new covenant of Jesus Christ is that we may now have confidence that draws near to God. As verse 22 reads, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, 
having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So knowing these things, now we can draw near to the Lord. We can be certain that he wants our bold approach and we can have confidence because our heart is in a state of full assurance of faith. And even our hearts are sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water and in an Old Testament sense even higher now with the blood of Jesus, not the blood of animals, the water of the word of God purifying us and allowing us that safe and welcome approach to our God. So let us draw near, not just at church, but every day. That is the first of these Christian accomplishments that the writer of Hebrews leads us to. But now we turn to the second, and this is the only one I will entertain for the day. This is the one of confession. First, confidence to draw near. Now, confession of hope. Let's look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, so says God in verse 23 of chapter 10 in the book of Hebrews. Let us is a command. It's a privilege. It's a, a call again to come near, but even more so to hold fast. Let us hold fast the confession. This idea of confessions, I think, is somewhat uh, alien to us in our society and in our normal English verbiage. In our day and age, we will watch the, uh, the detective stories and we'll find at the end it's always the desire of the detective when bringing in his chief subject to elicit from this suspect a confession. And so from us, it's a confession. For our standpoint in English, it's mostly a confession of evil having done wrong. That is not what this is teaching. This isn't our confession that we're sinners, not at all. Though that may be true and needs to be confessed, that's not the confession here because you'll notice it's our confession of hope. So to confess also has the dual meaning of to say what is true. See, when an when a evil man who's sinned, who has broken the law and is broken down under questioning by that good detective that we watched on TV, he makes confession. What confession means is he's finally telling the truth. He's fessing up. I did it. I was wrong. So what he's confessing to is the truth. But on the positive side, Christians also must confess those things that are true about God that we believe. So we're confessional Christians. We confess what the Bible has taught us that we should believe and even hope in, and those things are the things that we profess. So to confess something is also what we profess, what we say out loud. It also can have the aspect of lending our allegiance we give allegiance through our confession. When we confess Jesus is Lord, we are saying that we are putting our allegiance behind him. We follow Jesus as our Lord and Master. We confess that truth. So it also can mean, confession can also mean, trust placed upon. 
and in particular, this hope that we're going to look in today. But even more so, it is confidence in the one who promised. So we confess our confidence in the one who made his promise of the new covenant unto us and unto the whole of the believing world. So therefore, we have faith in the promises, all the promises that God made. Confessing what is true, what you have faith in, is really the highest act of the believer, to say out loud what you believe. We live in a world where people are more than willing to tell you all the various and sundry things that they believe. Their various philosophies, their worldview, their cultural positions, their political adherences and different favorites and the way in which they live. You walk in even through the grocery store, you can get a lesson on fine health and what should be eaten and not by people that just seem willing to share, willing to confess. If you just take this and eat this, you'll be as healthy as me as they limp their way through the store. But <laughs> yes, donuts are indeed good is not a true confession, but they are tasty. That is a good, true confession. Thanks for the help there, Rock. We've got to have a little illustration to go along with that. In Hebrews, we find that this is a theme that is run throughout, this idea of making confession and also where we put our confidence in what we confess. Let's go back in our history of studying this book now to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, which reads, But Christ, as a son over his own house, that's in contrast to Moses, Christ as a son over his own house, listen now, whose house we are if, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end, where we place our confidence, where our allegiance is tied, what we really believe is it in that Jesus as the Christ son over his own house, as opposed to Moses, a higher one of the new covenant, and holding that confidence firm to the end. Not many verses farther along in Hebrews chapter 3, we look at verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Are you seeing this theme of holding on to what we confess, what we have confidence in for the duration, for the long term, for life. Verse 15 of chapter 3 in Hebrews, while it is said today, if you he will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now we remind ourselves that chapter 3 is very pointedly speaking to the children of Israel and it's marking out the error of Israel in regard to their confession, in regard to their confidence in God. For God sent to them Moses and Aaron as his mouthpiece and through many glorious signs demonstrated his power to keep his promise 
to Israel to bring them into the promised land and give them their land. So convincing were these miracles that Pharaoh himself let God's people go and they started traveling to the land. But they didn't get very far down the road, did they? And their confidence was shaken when they ran out of water, which I truly and wholly and confidently believe was God's test of their confession, of where their confidence truly was. Do you really believe I will bring you into the promised land? They said, no, Moses, what's wrong with you? Did you bring us to this wilderness so that we would die out here? That is called anti-confidence. I just made that up, by the way. The lack of confidence, the lack of a confession. Now the trueness of their heart came out in the rebellion. They said, we want to go back to Egypt. They were hardened in their hearts. They did not hold fast their hope firm to the end. They wavered. In Hebrews 4 now, in verse 14, we see this theme continuing with specificity toward the word confession. In chapter 4, 14, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest. So what's our confession? We have a great high priest. Not from Aaron's line, not from the Mosaic law and the Levites. We have Jesus Christ the high priest according to what order? The order of Melchizedek. A new high priest. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. He's not ministering in the tabernacle on earth. He's passed through the heavens. And then this is said about him there in verse 14. Jesus, the Son of God, let us, here's, it is, here's the let us again, hold fast our confession. What do we confess? See, it really matters what we confess about Jesus Christ. It really matters what we say that we believe about the word of God that he has delivered to us. And that we be of the right covenant, of the new covenant era. Remember, even when Jesus was walking with his disciples, there were rumors all over the land as to who Jesus was. And some of these things were getting back to Jesus. And so Jesus sits his disciples down and he says to them this ultimate of questions. He says, who do you or who do men say that the Son of Man is? Well, they said, well, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist by that time had been killed. They thought, well, it's John the Baptist coming back. And some say that you're Elijah who is supposed to return before Messiah. Others say Jeremiah. Others say one of the prophets. All of those confessions were wrong. Jesus said to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who did well, who did right. And as we find out in that text, was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, he himself said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is a confession. That is the rock 
of confession upon which the church is built. He said, upon this rock, he didn't mean Peter as a guy. He meant on the rock of this confession, the church is built on truth. And if there's any man as that foundation, it's the truth about the man, the son of man, Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. Both man and God, the son. But we also, when we say Jesus is the Christ, we have to learn from the scriptures what Christ means. If you don't know what Jesus Christ means, you're not confessing anything but a word, right? The word has to be loaded with the biblical meaning that goes all the way back to the Old Testament, Mashiach, Messiah, namely the anointed one, the deliverer of Israel and of all who will believe. That's what Christ means. So when Peter said, you are the Christ, it meant something very specific to the Hebrew mind. It is to this confidence, this confession that we are charged to hold fast to, to securely to hold on to. You know, we don't have as many opportunities in our day as, as our society moves more and more away from the physical life that we used to all live in an agrarian, agricultural society, or even a society in the industrial age where there were so many things that you needed to lay a hold on very tightly for security or to make it work or even just to do things. And I found myself making a comparison to ropes when I was thinking about this. And, you know, I still work with ropes. And the reason I work with ropes is because I like to put something on the end of my ropes. Namely, horses. And recently I've been working with a couple of yearling colts. And, you know, training them to do what I want them to do. At times when they get frightened... I need to hold fast. Hold fast to what I will believe, what I believe will happen if I just don't let go. Because if I hold on to that cold when it gets scared and wants to get away and I let them go, I've just taught them. I've just taught them that they are the master and I am not. And that's going to be harder the next time to hold on to them if I easily let them go. Now let's take that little picture that I've drawn and let's all put ourselves in the picture not as the one holding the rope. Now that's going to be God and we are the cult. We're the scared cult having to learn to follow God. And trust him. See, that's what I'm doing when I train a colt. I'm training them that if they stay close to me, their life is one of rest and ease and harmony with me. A communion, a fellowship together. And by the way, horses were made to know that communion with man. Like dogs, but better. <laughs> that's what I think. That's for free. It's not in the Bible. So I'm teaching them, come with me. My commands mean come here. And when you come here, it's safe. It's better. And we work together as we were designed. 
Now we look at ourselves again as that wild colt that's just recently been tamed just a little bit to get a halter on your head, and God's hanging onto that rope. But we also have to hang on to God. He doesn't put a snap in our halter. He gives us an end of the rope, and he says, hold fast. Trust me. Don't run. Even when you're scared, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, what? You will be saved. That's holding on to a truth for dear life, for salvation. That comes from Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. But I'm going to read the next verse, the one that doesn't often get brought along with our recitation of verse 9. Verse 9 says, For if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Listen to verse 10. For with the heart one believes to righteousness. Now pay attention here. And with the mouth, what? Confession is made to salvation. From the heart, belief. From the mouth, confession is made to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So hold fast your confession. You will not be put to shame by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. He said, therefore, whoever confesses me, Whoever confesses me before men, him I also will confess before my Father who is in heaven. If we believe the truth about Jesus, that he is indeed Savior and Lord, that he did indeed rise from the dead on the third day, we do believe, according to Hebrews, he's our great high priest that stands and represents us to God, according to the new covenant then Jesus confesses us as our great high priest to his saying, this one's mine. He's still holding on to his end of the rope. He's coming along with me. He's entering boldly into your presence because he's holding fast and he's holding fast to hope. Holding fast, it says, to your confession of our hope, of our hope. Note, he did not say of our faith. You're not to confess. He's not calling on you to confess your faith. Oh, I've got lots of faith. He didn't ask for that. Sorry. He says, let us hold fast to our confession of hope, not even love. Oh, I love everybody. You know, that's a right time for you to just say liar, liar, pants on fire because that's something God can grow into you, but he hasn't done it yet. You're going to know when that happens because you'll be dead. Now you have to work on loving your brother. You have to work even harder on loving your neighbor. But you have to work on it and you'll need God's help. Can I have an amen? Good. I'm glad nobody thought that was going to be easy. So now he didn't say faith. He didn't say love. He didn't say, hold fast to your confession of your service record. Well, don't you know what I'm doing for God? 
I'm following my ministry. Well, what do you trust in? Well, I trust in my ministry. Look at me minister. Dun, dun, dun. We're saving the world. And you might very well be. But that's not what he said, confess. Hold fast to your confession of hope. What you anticipate is going to happen in the future. Hope is anticipatory. He could have said, hold fast to your faith. Faith is going to be discussed, enduring in it, whole of chapter 11, but not yet. Now it's your hope, which, by the way, is undergirded by faith. But where is your hope? The confident expectation of your heart is what is on the table for being held fast to by your confession. Who and what is your hope of the future? You know, we usually look at hope all wrong, don't we? We look at hope all wrong because life is so just very disappointing. No amens? Maybe you've gotten all you've hoped for. I haven't. A lot of times because my hope was in the wrong place, right? I had hopes for a lot of things. If hopes is, As children, we have our greatest hope. You know, I wanted a 10-speed bicycle. That was the big thing. I put all my eggs in that basket. I hoped hard. Because that was the thing in the day with the curly handlebars. You kids don't even know. Well, maybe you've seen one in the history at the museum. I had to have one of those. That was my hope. And then you have other hopes, right? Oh, man, if she would just talk to me, that'd be the bomb. We didn't say that. We said, cool. All these different hopes and so many disappointments. If I just, you know, could pass this test I didn't study for. I mean, I really hope that, didn't you? <laughs> I mean, it was stupid hope. It's nothing to hold on to. But, I mean, I took the thread. I was there. I'm hoping. And that's the problem that we have. We, we, we kind of look at hope as a slim possibility. A dim hope. Not fully fleshed out. It's sort of fuzzy out there. We kind of think of hope as the rare chance that it might all work out. In essence, we, we really expect very little from our hope. Amen? And this is to correct that and put our hope and our confession of it in the right realm of confidence. There was a church in Philadelphia in the first century after Christ. John the Apostle is still alive and he's been exiled to the Isle of Patmos. God has called on him to write to seven different churches to author them with the hand of the Lord Jesus. So John writes what the Lord Jesus calls on him to write to these churches. And to the faithful church in Philadelphia, the evangelizing church in Philadelphia, he writes to them these words of hope. Behold, 
I am coming quickly. Well, pastor, it's been over 2,000 years since those words were written. And I looked quickly up in the dictionary and 2,000 years seemed to be under a different word category. Highly delayed. A long time in coming. Beyond hope. Behold, he says, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Hang on to that rope and follow God. Don't let go, even if you're scared. Hold fast. Don't want to lose your crown. Verse 12, the encouragement. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar. What is your hope? If I overcome, God will make me a pillar. In the temple of my God, he says. Well, if that seems boring to you, you're not saved. You're not saved if you don't want to live in the temple of God. To be close to God because what you're hoping in is something earthly, not heavenly. The presence of God that we've been invited to enter in Hebrews 10.22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of the faith. Is to be in God's presence permanently and to want that as your hope. Brothers and sisters, if only in this world our hopes could be realized with material things and physical things and even false spiritual things, then your hope is not in the Lord. Do you realize that when the psalmist writes, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore, that's not a lie? See, you don't think of God that way, do you? I, I, I bet you I'm right. Some of you might. Mature in your faith. That God wants you with him to put pleasures upon you. Better than 10 speed bicycles. Better than Midland walkie-talkies. Better than the fastest car. Better than the prettiest girl. Better than the handsomest man. Better than the best job in the world. Better than a trip to Tahiti. All expense paid. Everything provided. Sitting on the beach under your cabana. Ah, wait a minute. I just touched somebody's vacation and retirement plans with the hot hand of God. All of those pleasures that you can imagine are only a shadow of what God can give. Remember, it's God who gave us the pleasures of marriage. And heaven's better. Heaven's better. But sometimes we sit here and say, well, I don't want to miss this before I go to heaven. There's nothing here to miss. You won't miss Anything if right now you die and go straight to heaven based on your hope that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're like, woohoo, that was great to get out of there. This is so much better. And we have to start thinking about heaven as our home place that is our better hope. A better hope. Notice Hebrews chapter 7. 
and verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect, nothing complete. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast. I will make you a pillar in the temple of God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, John says in Revelations 3, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him a new name. Hold fast. We confess so little of what our hope truly is to ourselves or anyone else. We have to become a confessional church that speaks like that into this world that's lost, dying, and has no hope, and they are looking for something to hold on to. They're pulling at strings and trying to tie the knots in the center, and they won't be tied, and they're being pulled apart. They may say, I'm trans with, with some sort of confidence, but they are not confident. They're full of their sin, and they're being pulled apart. They might say, well, I'm following this way of life. I was born that way. And we can say, no, you know nothing of the pleasures of God because you're not acknowledging God. He is there to bring you into his presence if you but believe, but turn from your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will know then fulfillment. For I know the confidence. I can confess with truth. You have none now for pleasures of sin are but for a moment and they never fulfill. So I have known it and you know it. Here's fulfillment. Here's a confession. But how do we hold on? I want to hold fast. I want to be strong. I don't want to fade out before the end, do you? But here's a command. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. And now he's going to go on to give us two directions. Two directions are given here in our texts to help us obey the command to hold on or to hold fast our confession. And the first direction we are given, God directs the way to hold on is this, without wavering. The way to hold on first then the why. First, the way to hold on without wavering. Wavering. What, what a word. To waver. To sway, if you will, between two opinions. To be pulled side to side. Wavering is to be unsteady. It's like the tree blown in the wind. Wherever the wind blows, the tree moves and bends. It means to be changeable. Without wavering, we are to hold on. That is what he's calling us to. So how do we do it? You're the colt again. You're in the round pen with your God. He's trying to lead you. But all of a sudden, he wants to take you through a, through a, a gate. That all of a sudden, when you walk through it by yourself, it seems so easy. But now that he's there pulling on the rope that you have a hold to, you're not so sure you want to go. You're not sure you can trust him to do what's right for you if you follow all the way through to where he's leading. You start to wave. You start to look around for some hope, uh, some help from the outside. Maybe one of the other horses can help me and you can whinny for them. Help 
me, help me. And there always seems to be some horse out there that's willing to run and put their head over the gate. Oh, you poor thing. Pay attention to me. And then you know what God does? He gently gives a tug on that rope. And you have an opportunity to follow him or waver. It's a test. What's your confession? Are you wavering? Are you bending with the wind? In Ephesians, Paul describes the wavering heart as a very negative thing and to be watched out for and protected against. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14, I read these words. Paul looks at us not as colts, but as little children, which is pretty close to being a colt. He says that we should no longer be children. And what is the characteristic of a child, of someone that's immature, tossed to and fro by and carried about by every wind of doctrine? Just like the little colt who's crying out, somebody come help me. And there's always somebody from the world who will come in from the outside and say, oh no, don't follow God that way. Our way's more fun. Our way's better. You'll have, you'll have more freedom if you come with us. Just let go of that rope. Don't follow him there. Don't follow his doctrines. We have ways of leading you through the wide gate. And everyone's having fun in there. And you could be part of us. Look, we've got sporty clothes. You don't think they use clothes? Hmm. That might be the first gateway drug. That we should no longer be children. Immature, tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Listen, by the trickery of man. Somebody's going to come along and say, it's easier this way. It's better this way. Notice, in the cunning craftiness and of deceitful plotting, they want everyone following them straight to hell. They don't want confident confessions of hope. They want wavering. Well, how is this cured? How do we hold on? Well, I didn't read yet Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 that shows us how we can no longer be children. The purpose of what comes above, the purpose of the that of verse 14 is found in verse 11 and following. Listen. And he himself, that's God himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. This is a gift of God to children in the Lord in the church. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body. That means for building it up. For one point, you can be wavering, tossed to and fro, but edifying, it says, the body of Christ built up, listen, verse 13, till we all come, till we all come, let me just say that again for emphasis, would you allow me? Till we all come to the unity of the faith. That means we all confess what the Bible says we should confess about God, about our belief, about our hope of the future, yea, I am coming quickly. 
unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, which means spiritual maturity. Not as children, that we should no longer be children. The problem with the church today across the nation and the world is that these things are not being taught from pulpits and from teachers and pastors, and they're not being edified and taken in by people, and people don't have a firm hold on the confession of their hope because they don't even know what it is they're supposed to confess, nor what it is they're supposed to hope in as they confess. Is that not true? very end of this chapter, Hebrews 10, is going to say this, and we're going to get there with greater detail, but let me just say this by reading verse 35 of Hebrews 10. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Don't let go of the rope that attaches you to God, namely the word. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. We have to grow up from infantile Christianity to adult Christianity, and we have to have a confidence that endures, hold fast, don't let go. That's what endurance is all about. If you ever held on for a long time, as just I had the opportunity to the, a couple of weeks ago to a young colt that all of a sudden seemed to grow quite a bit stronger than I thought they were before. And I had to hold on to that rope with a hope and a confidence that if I held on longer than they could hold out, that it would be better for both of us and we'd both get a rest. And we'd start on the road to unity. Unity of the faith. They trusting me and me trusting they'll trust me. And that's how it is with us and God. You need to trust God. And God's trusting you're going to come with him. That's what you confess. And if that analogy, if that picture doesn't work for you, you're more mechanical, how about try this on? In toolboxes all across the United States of America, there is a tool for holding fast. When all other tools will slip, come off, there's this one tool. It's a universal tool. It's a tool you use when a head of a nut, a nut is stripped. Or when the pipe is just too slippery, you can't get a hold of it. It's a thing called a vice grip. Uniquely designed with a little lever action and a screw that tightens down and it clamps down so you don't even have to hold with your own strength to keep that thing fitted around the slippery nut or pipe. It just snaps on. Snap! Like a vice grip. And you can put all the pressure on it and move that thing out and do the job and get it done. You know, because that, that's a... That's a a great analogy for me because, you know, spiritual truths can sometimes be slippery, can't they? You think, oh, I've really got a handle on this. You know, and then you read something else, you're trying, and somebody says something else, you're like, oh, no, what's going on? You start sliding around, you know, like the Crescent Ranch. Ooh, stripped another bit of doctrine off there. Now what am I going to hold on to it with? Well, you get the vice grips. Your confession. You hold fast to confession even when you don't understand all the rest of the doctrines. You still confess Christ. The vice grip of faith 
that won't slip on. You don't want to be like Thomas. In John chapter 20, Jesus said to doubting Thomas, who said he wasn't going to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead until he saw the scarred hands and the side he wanted to see for himself. John 20, verse 29, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you. Right here with your vice grip faith, your confession of truth that you will hold on to and never let go. So the way to hold on, we've looked at, and now the why to hold on. Don't waver, don't let go, don't slip off. Hold with a death grip because it's actually a life grip. But now God directs the second way to continue to holding on is to hold on, the why to hold on. He who promised is faithful. Did you hear that? Hold on without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You can trust God. You can trust the one who made the promise of the new covenant that he will keep it, that he will be your God, and you will be his people, that he has put his word in your heart and mind, and you will go there. See, God is different than every other man. We are disappointed in promises because men don't keep their promises. We don't even keep all our promises as we should. And we think God is that way, and that's the wrong way to think about God. God had to correct Israel in that thinking. In the book of Numbers, God said to Israel, God is not a man. Now, I know that seems profound, but they needed to hear it. You need to hear that today. God is not a man, in Numbers 23, 19, he is not a man that he should lie. What is true about all men? Liars. That's why we need to be saved. Sinners lie. But God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. That means he doesn't turn back from what he's going to do or what he said he's going to do. It goes on, as he said and he will not do, See, when we hold on, we're holding on to God who said in the new covenant he will make us his people and we believe he will do it. He will do it. Or has he spoken, it goes on to say in Numbers 23, and he will not make it good. Haven't you heard that a thousand times in your life? Aren't you going to make good on your promise? Making good on your promise is to keep it. Has God ever broken a promise? Answer, no. We can trust him, so don't waver. Paul, oh, excuse me, James in his book says these words about God to increase confidence, for this is a book about faith that works, i.e. you put your faith and then you'll follow. He says this in James chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation. God doesn't change. Nor shadow of turning. Means he's not going to turn back from what he set out to do. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, listen, that, he might, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I trust in that. 
He is promised, and he doesn't lie, and he is faithful. There is a guaranteed outcome because of the faithfulness of God. Can you trust some of his promises? Here's a few of them. Here's one for daily living without wavering and not letting go. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This is practical for every day of your life. You have to believe on this without wavering. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. No, I'm special. It's harder for me. No, it's common for men. But God is faithful. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but the temptation will also make, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Do you believe that or just give in? Just let go. Forget about it. The mature Christian learns to hold on to that promise. Obviously, this is something I can bear. So I will bear it. And I'll hold on to my confession in the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That's a promise. May the God of peace sanctify you completely. That means grow you up spiritually. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body, listen, be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that even possible? Sure. Pastor, you better read that again. Okay. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Do you believe it? The guarantee is the faithfulness of God. Second Thessalonians, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. He will establish you. He will guard you from the evil one. Do you believe it? That's what he does. He is faithful. You don't guard you from the evil one. He does. You don't establish you. He does. And you confess, he does. In this way, and we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, Paul says, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Isn't that a way to talk to people in the church? We're confident in the Lord that you're going to do what we tell you to do, and you're going to like it. I, I admit it, I added to like it, but that's what it means. Titus to the church as well. I, Paul, a bondservant of God, he says in Titus 1.1. 1, 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life. In hope of eternal life. Do you confess your hope in eternal life? We're going to live forever with God and saved unto it. In the hope of eternal life, which God, listen, who cannot lie, promised before time began. I wonder if he's really, you know, serious about this. We need to treat him as though he's serious and he's faithful to get it done. Go back in your book of Hebrews to chapter 6, verse 18, and you'll read these words to the Hebrews. 
The writer says that by two immutable things, that means things that cannot change, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge, listen, to lay hold of the hope set before us. Lay hold! And what do you lay hold of? It's an anchor. This hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. Well, what walking anchor have you ever seen in your entire life? You haven't seen one. Now you've seen an anchor for your soul that is mobile, that walks in and anchors you in the presence of God, and you just got to hang onto the rope. Where the anchor goes, you will follow. So go. Go. Go with the Lord. He's both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered even for us entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Brothers and sisters, God's promises deserve positive confidence, measured assurance, resolute faith. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we believe. Lord Jesus, increase our faith. Help us, Lord, in our confession to hold fast without wavering because we trust that you and the Lord God are faithful to deliver on your promises. Let us go forth from here today, Lord, making that confession. Let us hold fast and go where our anchor goes into the presence of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.